Well, it's a joy to welcome you again to Graceway Baptist Church. May the Lord bless you as we study our lesson today and uh, maybe he add rich blessings to his word as it works in our life and as it encourages us. And we are looking again at the life of Daniel. We're still in chapter six. There's been a lot of things that have been happening here. And uh, I have heard some very encouraging feedback from some of these lessons and the way that is blessed people and called attention to some things that we can use in our everyday life. So many thousands of years after all of this happened to Daniel, it's still living, it's still powerful, and that means it is still relevant to uh, each one of us. And so uh, I want you to think about something. The title here is Victory in the Lion's Den. I want you to not run past that very quickly. I want you to stop and uh, the psalmist would say, do a Selah here. Let's stop and think about this. When does victory come? And for a lot of us, we think about victory is going to be when I'm in that mansion on those golden streets. I don't dispute that. That's certainly true. But do we have to wait until then to get our victory? And then other people say, well, I just live in victory because faith is a victory and I have faith and therefore I always have victory. Okay, And then when you push them, they define that victory as never having any problems, never having any sickness, always getting a good uh, parking spot at the mall. That's almost a direct quote from Joel Osteen that uh, that's what victory really is. Um, some people think like that. Therefore, see, it doesn't take much to throw them off. What if I don't get a good parking spot at the mall? Something as simple as that can rob me of the joy of the Lord if what they say is true. Or if I have a sickness. I've been through a little bit of that this past year, as you know. And um, what, what happens in all of that? Well, they would say then, let's kind of summarize that, that faith and victory keep you out of the lion's den. You see, they would never say this title. They would never talk about victory in the lion's den because their premise would be, if you have enough faith, you'd never end up in the lion's den to begin with. I heard, um, who was it? Uh, Kenneth Hagin years ago that, uh, or maybe it was Charles Capps or somebody out of that movement that they said that uh, Paul had his thorn in the flesh and he asked three times and the Lord didn't remove it. And then I was pretty stunned when I heard him say this, if only Paul had had enough faith, he would have gotten rid of it if he had asked a fourth time. And that's the way those people think. They think that if you have enough faith, you just don't have any lion's dens or anything like that. Now, you can tell by my title that I'm going to lay out a different premise and I'm going to say that Daniel was victorious while he was in the lion's den. Right there in the lion's den, sealed off and there with those uh, vicious lions, Daniel had victory. Now, um, this is kind of contrary to the way that we think. And what I mean by that is whenever we have a war, for example, we don't really declare victory until the enemy surrenders and then there's no more war. No sense to keep on fighting. Victory comes at the end of the conflict. Well, that is true. 
That is very true. Uh, if you have a, a sporting event like a football game, and uh, this past week Oklahoma State played Texas, and they were behind the entire game until near the end of the fourth quarter. They took a lead, they held on to the lead, and then you watch that clock go down, and uh, finally when those zeros come up, yay, everybody cheers, we've got victory, we're victorious over the Longhorns. So uh, is that the way it is for the Christian life? Or do we have victory even in the midst of our trials? And I want to uh, submit to you that Daniel was victorious before the lion's den ever came. That victory su uh, sustained him, and it was sustained in his life during the ordeal of the lions, as well as when he got out of the lion's den unharmed. And that's really the way that you and I need to live, because in the world, we're going to have tribulation. There's going to be disappointments. There are going to be failures. Things are going to go wrong. And uh, that's just normal. Sometimes we go, why does this have to happen? Because we're fallen creatures living in a fallen world. We are sinful creatures living in a sinful world. And uh, th this is not going to be fixed until we're out of here and in the presence of Christ in heaven. This isn't heaven. And uh, it's not even close, is it? Sometimes we get little splashes and glimpses of it while we're here, but we also get splashes and glimpses of hell while we're walking on this earth. And uh, we just can't expect a whole lot in this life. So when we uh, think about victory as just, well, it's going to happen whenever I die and that's it, then that doesn't give me much hope. You know, what if I live like my great-grandmother did to be 102? I still got a ways to go. That, that's terrible. And uh, then if victory is defined as never having any problems, well, then I'm already defeated and discouraged because I've had my share and you have too, and we're going to have more of them. But maybe victory is a little different than what we have thought, and it's a little different than a sporting event or getting a parking place at the mall or something like that. Not that those things aren't great. They're great. I, I like them. I know you do too. And, um, but, but maybe we need to think about it like this. We may also see victory as being attained when we get through the lion's den, but our faith needs to be like Daniel's. L listen to this. Daniel's faith was intact before, during, as well as after the lion's den. Now, the New Testament tells us that faith pleases God in Hebrews 1, or pardon me, 11, verse 6, and that faith itself, whether we live or die, is the victory, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. In other words, we're supposed to live constantly by faith and constantly in victory, no matter what happens to us, no matter what other people do to us, no matter what the circumstances of life really are. And so Daniel was already victorious, and that victory carried him through the trial because victory truly is in the Lord. And the Lord receives then all of the glory. First John 5, 5, who is it that overcomes the world except um, the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so we've got to live in that. So let's go to our text. Enough introduction. Daniel 6, 16. 
So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. He had to go to the lion's den. Okay? Verse 18, Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. In other words, this is not a pleasant time in the palace, is it? Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a, and, and notice this adjective, a, a lamenting voice, a lamenting voice. It's not cheerful. That's not happy. That is sorrowful, right? A lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Can you imagine as he waits and he strains and he listens? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Isn't that a great, great story? in the life of Daniel. We've heard it since we were little kids. We've seen uh, paintings and things like that that show Daniel sitting there with the lions, you know, all around him sitting down like house cats. And um, this is just an amazing story. Now, point number one, let's talk about the den of lions. This wasn't like throwing Daniel into a cage at the zoo or something like that. This is nothing that he could escape from. In fact, um, the lion's den usually was more like a cave that had been dug out with a stone lid on it that was uh, perhaps too heavy for someone to move from underneath. And so uh, Daniel is stuck in there. And so uh, he's taken and he's cast into the den of lions. John MacArthur states about this, the word den is related to the Hebrew term meaning to dig. So it refers to an underground pit, which likely had a hole at the top from which to drop food into the pit. And secondly, a door at the foot of a ramp on a hillside through which the lions would enter. Okay, so that's getting, getting the picture. It was dark and uh, the lions are down there and Daniel's down there and he is absolutely trapped. No way to escape, no way to do anything else. They're thrown down on top of the lions in that den. Secondly, notice the despair 
the despair of the king. And it's not Daniel that's pictured as being all messed up about all of this. It's the king. And the king's a guy who has everything going for him. He makes the rules. He made the order. He's the one who made the law that got Daniel into all of this. He's got everything, right? Everything but peace, everything but joy, everything but uh, freedom. And yet it looks like Daniel's the one who, I mean, he's stuck in that cave with the lions. And yet the king is the one who really is robbed of all of that. But the king spoke to Daniel saying, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Now, when you read that, the words look pretty good. But I'm not sure that the way to read that is, Daniel, your God whom you serve continually will deliver you. I wonder if it's not a little bit more like Maybe he uh, could add the word in here. Surely your God will deliver you. You serve him after all continuously. Doesn't he uh, owe you or something? Uh, this is kind of the way people think. Even today, people think like this. God owes me. Look, look what all I've done for him. And again, whenever we stop and think about it, what we do for God pales in comparison to what he has done for us. I've heard some people kind of crow about the money that they give. One guy said to me one time, you do know that with my tithe, if I didn't give that to you in the church, I could have it for a boat. You know, a lot of people think like that. I told him keep his money. Uh, Brother Dale won't appreciate that, but that's what I told him. And uh, a lot of people kind of have the idea that if I go to church, read my Bible, give my money, live a moral life and all of that, then I, I ought not have anything go wrong going back to that one type of faith or one type of victory that I described in the introduction. Everything ought to go my way. Doesn't that kind of sound like what the king was saying here? I mean, after all, God you serve continually will deliver you. Well, that was a true statement. God is certainly going to do that, but I don't read that as though the king really, really believed it. I'm not sure that he did. Now, maybe I'm wrong. And if I get to heaven and find out I'm wrong, I will gladly apologize. But that's the way it, it hits me. In verse 17, then a stone brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And look at this. The king sealed it with his own signet ring. So if you mess with it, there's a death penalty on that. And uh, the signets of his lords, so they were... They had their name on there, too. And I suppose that's to magnify the gravity, the importance. Do not remove this stone. And maybe it's to kind of reinforce the, this is the law of the Medes and Persians. This can't be changed. You better not try to rescue Daniel. And by the way, it does remind me just a little bit of the Lord Jesus, when his body was put into the tomb, they put armed guards there and then they also sealed the tomb with the uh, uh, official Roman seal to tell people you better not mess with this or try to steal the body or anything. And um, it says that they did this with the seal of the king and his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. And so the king sets that up. This is the law of the Medes and the Persians. Do not monkey with this. And then he goes home. 
So what does he go home to? And we go home and, and we read that he spends the night fasting, lost his appetite. He didn't want to eat. He is upset. You remember last week we saw that he was displeased with himself for being trapped, for writing that law and signing that law. Well, you can imagine how he feels now. He really does care for Daniel. And now he's thrown him into the den of lions. And so there's no food. And there's, um, it goes on to say, no musicians at night were brought to him. And then there's also no sleep. Okay. So uh, this is just a terrible night for the king and a painful night for him. And nobody can do anything for the king and no one can do anything for Daniel. Everything is set. It is signed, sealed and delivered. And now it's just being carried out. Let nature take its course. The lions are going to, uh, they're not going to sleep tonight. The lions are going to feast on Daniel. Number three, I want you to think about the doubt of the king. And in verse 19, we read that the king rose not just early, but very early. What else are you going to do if you can't sleep? Go ahead and get up. And so he went in haste to the den of the lions. Now, what do you think? Is this because the king is going, let's go see what God has done for Daniel? Um, I, I'll tell you why I don't read it that way. I, I wish that were the case, but uh, I don't read it that way because it says in verse 20, and then he came, when he came to the den, he cried out with a, and, and I called attention to this word when we originally read it, a lamenting voice to Daniel, a lamenting voice. That's the kind of a voice that somebody uses when um, they are wailing by a casket of a loved one or at the graveside of a loved one. It's not a happy time. It's not a cheerful time. It's not a victorious time. It's not expecting a miracle type thing, lamenting. You know what the king was doing? He was coming to check on Daniel, hope against hope, but his real expectation was that Daniel is dead. Daniel is gone. And that's why he cried out with the lamenting voice. And he uh, spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And none of his actions really show any faith in the God of Daniel. And so this lamenting voice, again, he expected to find Daniel dead. And um, the words of the king about Daniel and his God make it clear that God is really on trial here. I think if we could talk to King Darius at that point and we say, Darius, what do you expect? Well, I know Daniel's faithful, but I'm not sure that his God is. I know that Daniel has been faithful to his God, but I'm not sure his God is more powerful than the lions that are here. I know that Daniel has observed the law of his God, but is the law of Daniel's God greater than the law of the Medes and the Persians? We could go on and on about that. God is on trial here. And sometimes we uh, kind of discount that and we make the lion's den about our troubles and our trials and all of that. And I, I get it. I understand that. But that's not really the full force of the story. The real point of the story is God is sovereign, even in Babylon. God is sovereign, even though Daniel is not in Jerusalem, even though there's not a temple, even though they're not offering the sacrifices, 
God is still the one who is in control. And God is great, no matter whether it's you're talking about Jerusalem or whether you're in Babylon, where they're worshiping all kinds of demonic gods. Our God, Yahweh, is still the Lord of all. He reigns supreme. And so the miracle here is about the glory of God. It's what God does. It's who God is. It's the faithfulness of God in this situation. And then uh, Darius talks about this and, and says, has he been able to deliver you? I mean, he's not convinced. Has he? Has he? And, you know, there are a lot of people that are looking at you when you go through the trials of your life and you say, well, God will see me through. And they don't always understand that. And uh, that's a good question. Has he seen you through? Do you act like it? Do you display that? Because whenever you go through a trial, it's really not about you. It really is about God. And people are watching and they're wanting to see the glory of God in your life. How is it that you bear up in suffering? How is it that you bear up in the trials of life? And sometimes God sees us through those things. <clears throat> there are other times he doesn't. And yet the truth doesn't change. We are to glorify God whether we live or whether we die. That brings us to point number four, the declaration of victory, verses 21 through 23. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. And then notice how Daniel puts the emphasis on God. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found. And then uh, Daniel reminds the king of something he may or may not have wanted to hear because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I've done no wrong before you. <laughs> the innocent man was thrown into the den of lions. The innocent men were not. And Daniel puts forth that before the king. This shows my innocence and that's why God acted the way that he did on my behalf. Now, can you imagine how that was kind of a jab of the dagger in the king's heart? Because the king is the one who signed the law and the king is the one who uh, really signed the death warrant for Daniel. Well, now Daniel's out and the king is happy about it. But Daniel also says, just a reminder, king, I didn't do anything wrong toward God or toward you. And that's why God has blessed my life. So you can just surmise what the king must have felt and thought. And it says, now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den. And look at this, no injury, whatever was found on him, not a scratch, not a mark from a tooth, not a torn robe, nothing like that at all. And why did that happen? Because he believed in his God. It really is true. Faith is the victory and we are called believers. And so we need to put our faith into practice. And isn't it sad sometimes the way that we can look at this and study this lesson and it seems so easy, seems so easy. But there are times when it gets extremely hard to rejoice in the Lord, to thank the Lord, or even just to 
believe the Lord. And sadly, it doesn't take a whole lot. It's not like it's only in the times when someone we love is tragically taken from us that we doubt God or that we act like a pagan. Sometimes it can be just because we can't find something or something didn't work out the way we thought it was going to work out or somebody did something we didn't expect or something goes wrong or something breaks. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, You can be working on something and it should have taken only 15 minutes. It's been 45 and you can't get that one screw to go in there right. And then about the time you get it and everything's starting to go back together, you drop something and, and, you know, it, it just is amazing how little it takes to take this joy and this victory that we're talking about right now away from us. And those things happen because, well, we are no Daniel, are we? And uh, we are not as faithful as Daniel was. But here's an even greater thing that those things are supposed to remind you of. You're not God. And you don't have the patience of God. You don't have the long suffering of God. And you also don't have the victory and the peace that God has. Those things are always a reminder that we sin and fall short of the glory of God. And that reminds us of the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And that repentance is what uh, is uh, the, the doorway to a relationship with God by his grace. And all of the glory goes back to the Lord, right? And so the source of his victory, Daniel makes it clear, it's God himself. God himself. Daniel didn't learn and read a book about 50 ways to make lions like you. And he didn't do anything to himself to, you know, how do you make a lion not interested in you for food or something? He didn't do anything like that. There are no games or anything going on here. There's nothing at all that the, uh, no tricks, no manipulations or anything like that at all. This is simply a miracle of God and all of the glory goes to God. And notice how the means of victory is described here. God sent his angel. You know, we find uh, another time in the book of Daniel where that happens. And that's when Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were in the fiery furnace. It's Nebuchadnezzar who said the fourth one looks like a son of God, the son of God. Uh, don't automatically think that Nebuchadnezzar knew about Jesus or thought about Jesus or recognized Jesus. Um, He was basically saying it looks like somebody that one of the gods sent, right? He wasn't a believer yet. And uh, so we know that if it was the Lord Jesus Christ, it was probably him appearing as he did in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. Perhaps that's the angel that was also in the den of lions that told the lions, shut up and don't touch him. And you have to obey when your creator tells you that. The lion said, when the big boss says, keep your mouth shut, we keep our mouth shut. And that's what they did. And so uh, this is God. It's a work of God. And it's done through the agency of an angel. And notice the testimony of his victory. I was innocent and I'm innocent before God, and I'm innocent before man. And that, of course, is a really good place to be. It reminds me of 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial, or the lion's den, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange or weird were happening to you. But rejoice 
insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Doesn't feel like a blessing, does it? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In other words, keep doing good even though you're suffering, even though they're persecuting you. You be the one to keep on doing good. Don't quit because it's, it's not working. No, you keep doing good is what it says here. You're to rejoice in all of that. Man, I wish I could give you a story of how well I've done in fulfilling what uh, happened to Daniel in my own life or fulfilling what Peter said there in my own life. But I, I haven't quite made it to that point yet. Truth is still truth, whether I live it or not. Somebody said one time, you ought not preach anything you're not living. And I said, you just cut me down to three sermons because uh, there's a lot of the things that I preach and read and study in the word of God that uh, I don't have it down yet and neither do you. But it's nonetheless true. And it's nonetheless what we're supposed to do and what we strive for regardless of whether other people do it or not. And so Daniel here is an example, and we too are to be examples to other people. And uh, that's um, something that is uh, easier said than done. We know that. Entrusting your souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Boy, that sounds simple, but that's hard when you're in the midst of a trial. Now, you notice that there's evidence of the victory here. There's no harm done to Daniel. And this, of course, is a promise for all believers. So what do you mean by that? Well, it may be in this life. I've seen people that have been prayed for and their cancer went away. I've seen times when we prayed about certain things, jobs for people, and that happened. I remember with a guy one time who had had a stroke and he couldn't speak and we gathered around his bed and prayed for him. And as soon as we said, amen, he goes, water. And from that point on, he was able to speak. I've seen things like that had a pastor's wife back in Kansas who had rheumatoid arthritis, and the doctor said that she would be in a wheelchair by the time she was 40. Uh, she doesn't have it to this day, and she's in her 80s. The church prayed for her, and God dramatically healed her. We know that he still does things like that. I was in Sydney, Australia, and, um, you know, they drive on the wrong side of the road, and so when you, as a pedestrian, step out on the street... Uh, as an American, we always look the wrong way. And I got there and I looked to the left. Nobody was coming and I started to step out and somebody pulled me back. And uh, guess what? I would have been hit by a car if I had stepped out, but I wasn't. I was delivered from that. You know, sometimes and a lot of times 
God does that in this life. I think when we get to heaven, we'll find out how many times God spared our lives and God did miraculous things in our lives that we weren't even aware of. Sometimes it happens in this life. But what about those people that die for their faith? What about those people who are martyred for their faith and persecuted lands and um, those type of things? What happens? What happens to people who get cancer and they actually die from it? I think about Wayne Robinson when he talked about it. It's a win-win situation because if I get healed, that's a win. If I die and go to heaven, that's a win. And we just don't look at it like that very much. And yet that's exactly the way that it is. It is a win-win situation because even if we don't get delivered in this life, and again, we probably do far more than we realize, we will be in the next life. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more sadness, none of that type of thing. And uh, that happens because we are redeemed and one day we'll be redeemed completely. So we conclude just by saying this, Daniel was more, this is important, more at rest in the lion's den than Darius was in his comfortable palace. Now that's a testimony. Now that is powerful. And when people can see you like Jesus, the disciples are panicking in the boat in the storm. Jesus is asleep in the same boat. When people can see that your faith gives you peace that passes understanding, they're going to have some questions for you. Wonderful, marvelous opportunity to witness. But I'm afraid sometimes it happens where we act just like the world, and so they watch us and they go, well, I guess he's no different, no better than I am. Oh, that God would raise us up to have the faith and the peace and the victory of Daniel. You see, the true victory comes before the lion's den ever happens. It also endures during the time that we're in the lion's den and not just in avoiding the lion's den or enduring it. And Daniel's knowledge of God brought faith and his faith brought him peace. And that's where the victory is. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything. Boy, we violate that all the time, don't we? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And we violate that one as much or more, don't we? And what happens as a result of that? The connecting word there and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, you're not going to get that peace until you do the things that are listed there above that. And Daniel obviously did. Even when we find him praying and being arrested, what is he doing before the Lord? Not complaining. He's giving thanks, casting his cares upon the Lord. So let's learn from that and let's live and let's walk in more victory today than we did yesterday. And we'll press on from victory unto victory as the old hymn says. Thank you for your time. Thank you for those of you who watch this to keep up with your uh, Sunday school lesson. Chuck Lewis, I know you told me you do this every week. And so I'm just giving you a shout out and saying hi to you, as well as the rest of you who do this. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in church shortly. And for you Sunday school teachers, thank you, thank you for the work that you do for the glory of God. And uh, we'll see you next week.